0: the Law School of America. An ultra-hazardous activity in the common law of torts is one that is so inherently dangerous that a person engaged in such an activity can be held strictly liable for injuries caused to another person, even if the person engaged in the activity took every reasonable precaution to prevent others from being injured. In the restatement of the law second, torts second, the term has been abandoned in favor of the phrase inherently dangerous activity. Categories of Ultra-Hazardous Activity Several categories of activities are commonly recognized as being inherently hazardous. Those who engage in them are subject to strict liability. These include Transportation, storage, and use of dynamite and other explosives. Transportation, storage, and use of radioactive materials. Transportation, storage, and use of certain hazardous chemicals. Keeping of wild animals, for example animals that are not normally domesticated in that area. Note that in this context, Domesticated does not merely refer to animals that are commonly bred and raised in captivity, such as alligators. Keeping of domesticated animals that have a known propensity for dangerous behavior, for example keeping a dog that has attacked people before. Someone who is injured by one of these inherently hazardous activities while trespassing on the property of the person engaged in the activity is barred from suing under a strict liability theory. Instead, they must prove that the property owner was negligent. In the United Kingdom, This area of law is governed by the rule established in Rylands v. Fletcher. Determining if an activity is ultra-hazardous. Factors determining an activity is ultra-hazardous. 1. The relative possibility of harm. 2. The level of seriousness of potential harm. 3. The level of activity, most persons would not regularly engage in ultra-hazardous activities. 4. Whether decreasing the possibility of harm requires exceptional measures of caution. 5 whether the risk of the activity outweighs its social value. 6. Inappropriateness of the activity in the area where it is engaged in. Deep pocket is an American slang term. It usually means extensive financial wealth or resources. It is typically used in reference to big companies or organizations. For example, the American tobacco companies have deep pockets, although it can be used in reference to wealthy individuals, as with Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. In the context of a lawsuit, the deep pocket is often the target defendant, even when the true, moral, culpability is with another party because the deep pocket has money to pay a verdict. For example, a lawyer may comment that he or she sued the manufacturer of a product rather than the seller because the manufacturer has the deep pockets, meaning it has more money than the seller with which to compensate the victim and profit the attorney. Deep pocket is a slang term. The term deep pockets, also given as deep pocket and deep pocketed, Is attested sparsely in the 1940s through the 1960s but became popular with the litigation explosion of the 1970s. A person with short arms and deep pockets is a person, sometimes derided as miserly or cheap, who saves money and doesn't often spend it. The term short arms and deep slash long pockets is cited in print from at least 1952. In Ireland, this phrase was attached to a wealthy businessman from Tipperary who, upon his round of drinks, would break his glass on the floor, knowing the owner of the pub would ask him to leave. This was also called the O'Shea Fiddle. Deep Pocket in Law and Economics Deep pocket is a concept often used in the law and economics of tort law. It refers to the idea that the risk of an activity should be borne by a person who is in a relatively good position to handle it. This can be achieved by either spreading the risk over a large number of risk bearers, usually by means of insurance, or by imposing it on a person who is relatively risk neutral. The latter is often assumed to be the case for wealthy individuals or large corporations, who are referred to as having deep pockets, since their wealth will not be affected very strongly if the risk materializes. For example, a deep pocket argument might, among other arguments, be used to justify product liability, as producers with deep pockets will normally be better able to accommodate the risk of damages than individual consumers not endowed with deep pockets. In 2014, the Supreme Court of Iowa labeled such legal theories deep pocket jurisprudence. A review found four types of application. Innovator liability holds an inventor of a product liable for the harms caused when others independently manufacture the same product. Governments may sue manufacturers and anyone in the supply chain, holding them broadly liable for harms caused by independent misuse or abuse of a product. Businesses may be held liable for harms caused by employees of independent contractors. When the true party at fault for misusing a product is unable to pay for harms they caused, The manufacturer may be held liable on a speculative theory of the product design contributing to a mishap. A variation on the term refers to the special subtype of frivolous litigation where plaintiffs target wealthy or corporate defendants for little other reason than them having high resources. These cases involve plaintiffs who have suffered genuine damages, but the true culpability lies squarely with an individual or small entity who has very little money that could be collected if the suit was won. Instead, The plaintiff targets the nearest marginally related large corporation or wealthy defendant, often with a weak accusation of negligence. A popular example is a person being shot by a criminal and suing the manufacturer of the firearm instead of their attacker. Sometimes legislation is passed to prevent such lawsuits, such as the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. A writ of execution, also known as an execution, is a court order granted to put in force a judgment of possession obtained by a plaintiff from a court. When issuing a writ of execution a court typically will order a sheriff or other similar official to take possession of property owned by a judgment debtor. Such property will often then be sold in a sheriff's sale and the proceeds remunerated to the plaintiff in partial or full satisfaction of the judgment. It is generally considered preferable for the sheriff simply to take possession of money from the defendant's bank account. If the judgment debtor owns real property, the judgment creditor can record the execution to freeze the title until the execution is satisfied. Generally, Execution is unnecessary for defendants who pay verdicts against themselves voluntarily. However, some defendants ignore judgments against them, and thereby force plaintiffs to employ writs of execution to actually enforce judgments. In the United States, not all assets are subject to execution. For example, social security income that resides in a bank account is exempt from a levy on a debtor's bank account. Many states also protect an individual retirement account, IRA, from execution as well as unemployment income